scripture lesson for today comes from Psalm 4. O men, how long shall my honor suffer shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Salah. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Those same verses from a modern translation called The Message. You rabble, how long do I put up with your scorn? How long will you lust after lies? How long will you live crazed by illusion? Look at this, look. Who got picked by God? He listens the split second I call to him. May the Lord bless to our hearts and our minds this reading of his word. This is the third part of our series based on a book by Henry Nouwen called Reaching Out, Three Movements of the Spiritual Life. And in the first part, we looked at the movement from loneliness to solitude. Being alone and having it be bad, to being alone and having it be good. In the second part, we looked at the movement from hostility to hospitality. From encountering a stranger, and instead of feeling fear or anger, or resentment, feeling love and warmth and acceptance. And then this week, the movement from illusion to prayer. I like that part of the verse from the message where it says, how long will you keep hanging on to an illusion? And to move from an illusion about the world to an attitude of prayer and an ability to relate to God in prayer is this last and third movement we will look at today. What do you think about when I say the word prayer? Do you have a specific prayer in mind? Do you have a, something that you repeat, let's say, every night before you go to bed? Do you have a, or is it just a, re, a general conversation? Do you think of the Lord's Prayer? Because I think when it comes to this topic of prayer, we, we find two different kinds of people. There are some folks that have never progressed beyond their elementary school idea of prayer. It's still, they're hanging on to the illusions that were taught to them as a child, and they've never developed a more adult ability to talk about prayer or think about prayer. The other side, though, is there are so many people who can't help but pray, but just don't know how to talk about it, don't know how to describe it, what it is or how it works in their lives. For example, prayer is like asking a three-year-old child why he likes to play with a ball. What's the answer? Or asking someone, why do you love that person? Sometimes you just don't even know. There is a fascinating documentary film that was made some years back. It won the Sundance Award for Best Documentary. It's called Man on Wire. And um, it was a true story. It was about a true story of something that happened on August 7th 1974, a French circus acrobat by the name of Philippe Petit and some friends strung a wire from the top of the World Trade Center number one to the top of World Trade Center number two, and holding a balance pole like this, he set out and he walked across that wire from one building to the next. When he arrived at building number two, the New York Police Department was there to greet him. 
They arrested him. They took him down to the police station. And they kept asking him one question. Why did you do it? Why did you do that? He answered. He said, if I see three oranges, I have to juggle. If I see two towers, I have to walk. That was his answer. I kept thinking, 25 years later, on 9-11, when you, the first time you saw the footage of the planes hitting the towers and the towers coming out, what came out of your mouth when you first saw that? Probably something like, oh my God, oh my God. That is a prayer. Even when you shorten it to OMG in your email, that is a prayer. That is. And so we can't even, we can't even have an answer for it. Julian Barnes wrote a book about the subject of death called Nothing to be Frightened of. And I bought it because I liked the first line of the book. He wrote, I don't believe in God, but I miss him. I don't believe in God, but I miss him. You've known people like that, haven't you? Who've lost the faith that they grew up with, that they were taught as a child. They don't, they don't have a faith anymore. And yet they're still, deep inside, is a yearning for something. Some sort of connection with the universe. I don't believe in God, but I miss him. Prayer becomes so personal. It is such a yearning. And I have to admit that even as we speak about it this day, it is still somewhat of a mystery to me. There's still so much more to figure out. There was a young man who was a doctoral student in the physics department at Princeton University at the Institute for Advanced Studies. And he was searching for a topic for his dissertation. And you know, at that level, your dissertation is supposed to be original research. You're supposed to find out and research something that has never been discovered before. And he asked his advisor for suggestions. His advisor happened to be Albert Einstein. And do you know what Einstein's advice was to the student? He said, find out about prayer. Somebody needs to figure out about prayer. He was not known as a religious man, but he knew that there was some mystery there that still needs to be figured out. Does it make any difference when you pray? Does it change things in the universe? Do things get altered? There is a, an interesting book um, written by Larry Dossey, who's a, a medical doctor, called Healing Words. And the book is the compilation of, of research that has been done on prayer, scientific research studies. And um, one of the, the strongest ones in, in the book is there were, they took people who were recovering from heart surgery and they divided them into two different groups. One group, the people were prayed for by name. The other group, the control group, they were not prayed for. And uh, it turned out that at the end, the group that were prayed for, and they didn't even know they were being prayed for, it was a double-blind test, 
the group that was prayed for had better outcomes than the control group. Now the problem was, two years later, they did the same experiment to try to duplicate the results, and the opposite happened. The people who were not prayed for did better than the people who were prayed for. Not sure what happened there, but... Um, but there's all the research is all over kinds all over the world all this kind of stuff. But there's one thing that I think is is not disputable, and that is this because uh, I've I've known this in my own life. When you know somebody is praying for you, it makes a wonderful difference in your life. There's a sense of love and support when you when you know that you are being prayed for. When my mom was in the process of dying and I was going back and forth between here and Phoenix, Arizona, when I would come back into the office, Gene and Don and Scott would say, how's Jackie doing? We've been praying for her, and we've been praying for you because we know this is a difficult time. And that made all the difference in the world, to know that somebody was praying for me. About 10 years ago, we started this thing at the church where every week we send out 10 letters. We just go through the church directory alphabetically, and we send out 10 letters to the next people, and the letters say, we're going to be praying, the staff is going to be praying for you next Tuesday morning at our staff meeting, and if you have anything specific that you want us to pray for, let us know, and we'll include it. We put in the letter that... That this, is, this is going to everybody eventually, not just you. We, we didn't want them to think that we knew something about them. You know. But, um, and, and over the, we've done this, now we've probably been three or four times through the church directory. Um, and uh, it's amazing how people will, will write or call and say, you know, that came at such a good time for me in my life. I've been going through a difficult time. And just the thought that there are people somewhere that are praying for me makes me feel better. It's important to not just pray for people, but make sure you tell them that you're praying for them. I think some of the problem that we have with prayer comes from our prosperity in our culture. Philip Yancey said that uh, he noticed, he says, in my travels, I have noticed that Christians in developing countries spend less time pondering the effectiveness of prayer and more time actually praying. Any of you that have been to Malawi on a mission trip know this, this, this is how it works. Anytime you get in a car, before you go anywhere, you have a prayer. And then when you get to where you're going, you have another prayer. It makes sense after you see the roads and the cars there. Um, but we don't do that. We don't, we don't even question whether we're going to get to where we're going here. We get in our car. We don't stop and have a prayer or a prayer when we get somewhere. It's, it's also, it says, he wrote, the wealthy rely on talent and resources to solve immediate problems and insurance policies and retirement plans to secure the future. It's hard for us to pray the Lord's Prayer with sincerity, isn't it? You know, when it, that line that says, give us this day our daily bread, which literally in the Greek, you know, means give us enough bread for tomorrow. It's hard for most of us to pray that when we have a pantry and a freezer stocked with 30 days worth of food. We don't need just tomorrow's bread. It's hard for us to be sincere about that. 
So what is prayer? What, what prayer is not? What are the things that it is not? One of the things is we understand is that it's not thinking. Prayer is unfiltered communication straight from the heart. In fact, when you hear it sometimes, it sounds like blurting out something. Annie Dillard, in one of her books, talks about a minister um, at this little Episcopal church up in Washington State. And she says that sometimes when he's in the middle of the prayer, he will blurt something out. All of a sudden he'll say, God, we come to you every week with the same things. And then he goes right back to the prayer. Sorry. And she says, because of this, I like him very much. It is unfiltered communication from the heart. Prayer is not pulling strings. Remember when you were a kid and you could get the, that candy called Pez and it had a little dispenser and you push the button and you get your little piece of candy? God is not a cosmic Pez dispenser. It does not work that way. That If you say the right thing, you get the little piece of candy. God does not get one candidate elected and not another one. This is going to be hard for you to understand, but God could care less about sports scores. He didn't decide yesterday that it was time for Cal to win the big game. It just happened. Uh, it's important for us to know that. Prayer is not using God. It's not using God to get what we want. Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, you remember that? He says, Lord, let this cup pass from me. In other words, he said what he wanted. He didn't want to die. But then he followed it up with, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. The nevertheless... God, here's what I want, but you know what? It's more important that what you want happen in this world. And so our, our, does, our job is to use prayer not to get God to do what we want in the world, but to align our will with what God is doing in the world. Prayer is not a laundry list. It's fine to ask for things, but, you know, there's five different types of prayer. One of them is petition. But the petition, the asking of things, shouldn't be 95% of your prayer time. Let's spread it around a little bit with the adoration and the thanks and the confession and all the other types of prayer that are out there as well. Remember the Lord's Prayer. All he asked for was one thing, just enough bread for tomorrow. The other thing is we have to understand prayer is not easy. Jesus saddled us with a very difficult task. He said that we're supposed to Pray for and love our enemies. We're supposed to pray for and love our enemies. So when you pray, Lord, bless Al-Qaeda. Bless the Taliban. Watch over them. Be with them. It doesn't seem natural, but it's what Jesus said we're supposed to do. It's possible, but difficult. Remember the the little school in Pennsylvania where the crazy man walked in and shot the Amish children who were, who were there, shot them and killed them. And the Amish community in that little town ended up taking in his family, the shooter's family, taking them in, adopting them, taking care of them. It is possible to love and pray for your enemies, but it is not easy. Then we understand prayer is not the possession of the righteous. God listens to anyone. I was upset years ago when the head of the Southern Baptist Convention declared that God does not hear the prayer of the Jew. I, I remember thinking, what? 
What about the Old Testament? Those guys were all Jews. They were all Jews. God doesn't like it when anyone tells him who is on and off his list. It's important for us to understand anyone can pray. So what is prayer? Probably the best definition I have is that it is the inborn desire to be in relationship with our Creator. The desire for prayer is, you know, Augustine had this famous saying that that we're all created with a God-shaped vacuum and our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. That there is a yearning, a restlessness to know the one who created us, to, to have some sort of a relationship there. And that desire, that, that working on that is the process of prayer. Gerald May, a psychiatrist, observed, After 20 years of listening to the yearnings of people's hearts, I am convinced that most human beings have an inborn desire for God. Whether we are consciously religious or not, this desire is our deepest longing and most precious treasure. Surely, if we are made in God's own image, God will find a way to fulfill that deepest longing. Oftentimes, our relationship with prayer, our journey through prayer, is like the journey we have with our children that we go through, different stages and phases of that relationship. When your kids are little, you're in the, you guide them, you direct them, you parent them, you tell them what to do, you point them in a direction, and you get them going, and then they become teenagers, and all of that falls apart. And then they go to college, and you have no control at all. You have no idea what's going on. You don't want to know. Um, there's all, but then if you keep on going, you can often come to this third stage, whereas young adults, they come back and they end up being better than you ever even dreamed of. They end up being people that you want to hang out with, good people. This is, Maureen and I are experiencing this phase in our life right now. Our daughters turned out way better than we ever thought. <laughs> it's great, you know? Um, and so... This kind of thing can happen where you, you can move through the stages and then come to the place where you do feel that everything is okay in your life, and your prayer life. And then lastly, Jesus tells an amazing story about prayer. Somebody asked him about it. He says, how, how, do you, how should I pray? And he tells a story that's one of the oddest parables. He says, there once was a man who had some guests come at midnight. He wasn't prepared. He didn't know they were coming. He had no food to give them, which is a grave act of inhospitality in that culture. So what did he do? He went next door. He knocked on the guy's door at midnight. And he said, I've got guests that have come. I need food to give them. And the guy inside the house said, are you crazy? It's midnight. I'm asleep, my wife's asleep, the kids are asleep, dogs are asleep. Go away. But the guy just kept knocking. Knocking, knocking, knocking. And Jesus said that then the man got up and got the food and gave it to him. And he went and served it to his guests. He says that, Jesus says to be stubbornly persistent when you pray. Keep at it. And in time, God will bring you himself, which turns out to be what you were praying and looking for in the first place. Amen.